Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. Now, to us, that wouldn't be a big deal. We live in a culture where maybe, you know, we can go to Dillard's and we can buy jackets on sale. But in those days, it was very, very different. They didn't mass produce jackets. They didn't mass produce clothing. And that's why people had one or two, three, maybe rich people had more garments that they would wear. And these outer garments were expensive because they had to be handmade. And so when they start throwing these cloaks on the ground, It is speaking of their honor of Jesus. It is like a red carpet rollout today. You've seen where people use that term where they say, we're going to roll out the red carpet. They're recognizing them as a person of honor. They're honoring them. Look what 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13 says. They did this for King Jehu when he was ascending to the throne. It says, then in haste, every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed Jehu as king. So they did the same thing for King Jehu, and at times they would do that. If it was a king that had authority as a sign of respect, if there was an event in their life, they would take the cloaks and they would throw them down. Imagine that. Here Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, and they're throwing out the red carpet for him. They're saying, this is our king. This is our king. Now look at the people's praise. When you look at his procession, it consists of the donkey. It consists of the cloaks being thrown on the ground, the recognition that he is a person of honor. But their praise also speaks of his sovereignty. Look at verse 37. It says, As he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for what? For all the mighty works that they had seen. And when you look at this in the Gospel of Luke, before the triumphal entry, he goes through Jericho. And in Jericho, right outside of Jericho, he heals a blind man. Blind man comes out as he's crying out to Jesus, if you're the son of David... Heal me. And Jesus does. He opens up his blind eyes. He makes him to see again. So all the crowd saw that. But John's gospel is very significant when it comes to the people praising Jesus for his mighty works. For in John's gospel, chapter 11, we read of Lazarus being healed. Remember what? Lazarus was a friend of his. Lazarus was dead for three days in the tomb. He's going in the fourth day stinking smelling, he's totally dead. And the Bible says that Jesus shows up and he actually raises him from the dead, calls him out of the tomb. Can you imagine seeing that? Imagine if you were at Hems Brothers Mortuary and you were visiting, it was the night of visitation, it was for a friend, and all of a sudden somebody walked in and said, rise so-and-so, and they got up and they walked away from the casket. You gotta admit that that would blow you away, wouldn't it? Well, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, it was right before the triumphal entry, and this blew the crowds away. And here's what John says in chapter 12, verse 9. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came. 
not only account of him. Now watch this. They didn't come just to see Jesus, the one who raised Lazarus from the dead. But it says they not only came on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Everybody wanted to see this. Everybody was talking about, hey, Lazarus rose from the dead. He was dead for three days. Some of you guys were at his funeral. And now all of a sudden he's risen from the dead. And then as you read on in John a few verses later, here's what it says in verses 12 to 13. The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So the crowds were gathering because of his mighty works. They knew there was something different about Jesus. He not only taught with authority, but he backed it up with his works. When he talked about people being blind to the things of the kingdom of God, he would heal a blind man. You can read that in John's Gospel, chapter 9. So these miracles that John talks about, always signs that were pointing to who Jesus was. And right before his triumphal entry, he raises a dead man. And the crowds gather. They want to see this guy. They, they want to, I would too, to be honest with you. I would want to see, man. I'd be hailing him as king as well, right? I mean, how many people do you know have ever raised a dead person? I know there's testimonies, but how many do you know were dead for three or four days? Not many. So the crowds are gathering, and they praise Jesus for his mighty works, but they also praise him as king. Look at verse 18. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus proved who he was. And they had no question seeing his mighty works. They had no question seeing Lazarus raised from the dead. There he was. Nobody was going to argue that. He'd be all over CNN. He'd be all over Fox News. He'd be all over MSNBC. He'd be on there doing interviews like people do today. And nobody doubted that. And they knew there was something different about Jesus. They knew that he was the Messiah. They knew Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And when they say that, they think of scriptures like Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, where it says of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. They would have thought of Isaiah chapter 9. They would have thought of Psalm chapter 2, verse 8. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage at the ends of the earth your possession. They knew that. They knew these messianic psalms that spoke about the Messiah. And here Jesus comes doing these mighty works and they have no problem proclaiming him. Revelation 17 verse 14 says, They will make war on the Lamb and the Lamb will conquer them for he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. In Revelation 19, verse 16, on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. They had no question. You know why? Because this praise that's coming out of their mouth was also a fulfillment of prophecy. Psalm 118, verse 26, which is a messianic psalm, says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. 
So think about Jesus' sovereignty on this triumphal entry. He comes, he's riding in on a donkey. It's a fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9, just like God said it would, precise, precision. He comes riding in and the people throw cloaks before him, recognizing that he is a person of honor. He's worthy of the honor that's given him. And not only that, they begin to praise him for his mighty works, especially Lazarus being raised from the dead. And then they begin to praise him as king and hail him as king, which is a fulfillment of Psalm 118. And let me tell you, Jesus is sovereign because he will be praised. Look at verse 40. It says, he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The whole design of the universe is to bring praise to Jesus Christ. This is part of the reason men reject the authority of Jesus, because they want praise for themselves. They want to be their own king. They want to call their own shots. They don't want to come under the authority. And this is why, in spite of the overwhelming evidence that there is evidence, more evidence pointing to a creator and the design of a creator, but people will still go with evolution because they realize that if they recognize that there's a creator, they got to be under his authority. And the people are actually recognizing this at this time. Remember when Jesus was in the wilderness and Satan was tempting him and he fasted for 40 days? And Satan's coming at him, tempting him. Three times he tempted him. One of those temptations was, if you're the son of man, turn these stones into bread. Now Jesus was hungry. The Bible says he was. And you would too if you fasted for 40 days. And Jesus was hungry. And the devil says, if you are the son of man, you know why Jesus didn't turn the stones into bread? Because he doesn't have to prove anything to Satan. He doesn't have to prove anything to us. Jesus is who he is regardless of what you think. And all of creation will praise him if we don't. Creation bows to him. Creation bows to him. So here you've got the sovereignty of Jesus. Think about that for a moment. Everything that's happening surrounding this event is lifting Jesus up, exalting Jesus, making him high. Like what we do when we sing praises of Jesus, right? In the sanctuary, we're singing about the Lord Jesus. We're lifting him up. People didn't even finish the song and they were already clapping on that last song. Praise the name of Jesus. He's sovereign. But what grabs me about Jesus when you read the Bible, when you read the story about Jesus in the Gospels, you're blown away at the heart he has. You're taken back by the heart he has. And one of the most encouraging things to me when I got saved and I started to learn about Jesus because I had a wrong idea about Jesus. But when I started to read about Jesus, one of the most encouraging things to me was what the Pharisees were saying about him. Look, sinners and tax collectors are gone to be with him. That he is eating with sinners and tax collectors. That was good news for me because I was a big time sinner. And I, I needed to hear that. And I was amazed that God, who is all holy, God, who is all pure and righteous, that he would come into this world and he would be with tax collectors and sinners? 
That's the heart of Jesus, though. And you see it in his triumphal entry when he begins to shed tears. Look at the sympathy of Jesus in verses 41 to 44. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. That's wild because who weeps at their own parade? I mean, I've seen parades. I still remember when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. (laughs) Got to hang on to those memories because they may never come back again, as last season proved. But I think, man, the one, Jesus is the center of attention here. He's the one receiving the praise. And instead of joy coming out, he's weeping. Who weeps at their own parade? And you know why he's weeping? He's weeping over their rejection. He's weeping over their rejection. Look at verse 42. It says, saying, Would that you, even you, that you known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. They didn't recognize the things that would bring them peace. Now, Jesus weeps three times in the scriptures that the scriptures record anyway. When Lazarus had died, Jesus goes to raise him from the dead, but it says that Jesus wept. That's one of the shortest verses. You want a memory verse? John eleven thirty five. 35. It's two words. Jesus wept. You can remember that. But, but people often wonder, why did Jesus weep? If he knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, why did he weep? Because Jesus identifies with humanity. In his flesh and blood, every time there's a funeral, there's weeping. And Jesus in his humanity identified with you and I. His heart is is united with us in the, the sorrows of this world. In the pain that you and I go through. It's not just that he's a sovereign king riding in with a scepter that's going to crush humanity. But he comes in with all of his humility. And it gives you a glimpse, a little bit of a window into his heart when it says Jesus. How many of you, if you had the power Jesus had, and people rejected you, how many would respond like that? We see it all through history where despots that were in absolute control and that were sovereign rulers of their day, and they would, they would any enemy whatsoever, they would take the sword and they would behead them. They would put them on the guillotine. They'd burn them alive. And yet this is not Jesus. He weeps when Lazarus dies because he identifies with humanity, but he also weeps. And the gospels don't record this. They record his prayer and they record the agony. Luke says he actually starts sweat, drops of blood in the garden as he's praying because of the anxiety that's coming upon him of the situation. Jesus knew everything that was going to come upon him. There was no secrets. And so Hebrews records these words in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. It says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Why was Jesus crying in the garden? Why was he, as he's lifting up prayers and he's weeping, at that time, because he's about to receive the wrath of the Father on our behalf. And there was going to be a moment of separation. In fact, the only time Jesus refers to the Father is God. He usually says, my Father, my Father. When you pray, pray our Father. 
My Father and I are one. We're in unity. But on the cross, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Didn't say my Father then. Why? Because he was receiving the wrath that was due you and me. And then he cries here. Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. Why is he weeping if there's a parade in his honor? Because if they would have only known the day, what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. See, the Jews pride peace. It's called shalom. If you go to Israel on one of our tours and you're walking through the old streets of Jerusalem and you see Jews in the streets and you say hello to them, that's our greeting, theirs is shalom. Shalom. You're walking and you say hello and they say shalom, shalom, peace, shalom. And there was this shalom that they desire. And there's this shalom that we know that will come, this peace that will come over the entire world when the Prince of Peace returns. And this, the only ones who really ever, ever experienced true shalom was Adam and Eve in the garden prior to the fall. Why? Because they had peace with God. They had peace with one another. And they had peace with all of God's creation. And that was shalom to the fullest. That's the desire of the Jewish people. Shalom doesn't just mean an absence of external circumstances, but it means your wholeness in all areas of your life, your emotional life, your spiritual life, your physical life, all of that. But when sin entered in, we died. We lost that peace with God. It was broken. And we lost the peace with one another. That's why people gossip today. Even in the church, that's why people backbite today. That's why people have no problem blessing God with their tongue. But as James says, with your tongue you bless God, but you also use it to curse your brother who is made in the image of God. That None of that happened in Shalom in the garden. People were at perfect peace with God. They were at perfect peace with one another. They were at perfect peace with creation. It provided everything that they had. And true shalom was experienced as long as they were obedient to God and his will. The Jews thought their peace would come from Jesus coming in. I mean, here's the one who raised Lazarus from the dead. There's nothing he can't do. Comes riding into Jerusalem, and the Jews thought, and why they proclaimed him as king is finally somebody, the Messiah, to deliver us from the hand of the Romans. They didn't realize that day what would bring their peace, Jesus said. Shalom is not an absence of external circumstances. If the Jews would have realized one thing, they learned it in the Old Testament, they saw their forefathers go through it, that the lack of peace comes through a disconnection from God. And so in the Old Testament, we see where the Assyrians come in and they take out Israel, the 10 northern tribes. Then later on in 586 BC, the Babylonians come in and they destroy Jerusalem. They take them. Why? Why? Why did that happen? Because of their rebellion and their rejection of God. They wanted somebody to deliver them from Rome, but they didn't want to bow to the will of God. If you would have only known today what makes for your peace, 
That's why you can't use Jesus as some genie in a bottle. True shalom comes with reconnecting with God through the person of Jesus Christ. That's where true peace comes from. So if you think a bigger paycheck is going to bring you peace, if you're out there and you're thinking, man, I struggle, man. My heart is never, there's, it's always just settled, but I know when I find a wife. I'm here to tell you that won't give you peace. <laughs> and she'll tell you the same. We have no problem saying that our peace comes from God. First and foremost, connected to him. Then we have shalom with one another. You see, so often we want, God, heal me. Heal me. And I've seen people healed before where they run off and they rebel against God. And two years down the road, they have this unsettledness in their heart. It doesn't come from any of that. Jesus was coming in as the Prince of Peace to bring them peace. And he weeps because they missed the boat. Like so many people miss the boat today. Jesus said in Matthew 23, verse 37, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing John 1, verses 9 to 11 speaks of, in the beginning was the Word. First verse, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then goes on to say in verses 9 to 11, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And it's sad because, listen to me, the sad thing is Jesus' next statement. These things are now hidden from your eyes. That their rejection led to a judicial hardening. We often read in, in Exodus, people want to say, man, who hardened Pharaoh's heart? In some scriptures it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. Other scriptures said God hardened his heart. Both. The scriptures are absolutely accurate because he was set in his heart. And God added his blessing to his hardness, if you will, and hardened and hardened and hardened it. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Because you have to understand that these people that are crying right now, that are saying, praise the king in fulfillment of Psalm 118, in all the scriptures surrounding it, God didn't even make it hazy. If anyone should have recognized the day of their visitation, it should have been the Jews because they had the holy scriptures. They had the oracles of the prophets. And as Jesus said, the prophets came to you, but you killed them. You didn't want to hear the message from me. You didn't want to hear the word of God. You wanted me to be the genie in the bottle. You wanted me to do for you. You wanted to be king and I at me the servant. 
They didn't recognize the day of his visitation. Do not continue to push God away lest you fall under the judgment of a judicial hardening. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.